I'm not 100% sure if, quote unquote, everyone who's supposed to be in here is here. But I do know for sure that I am not one of those who are gifted at um, precision with timing. So the longer we wait, the, the uglier it could get um, as far as the clock's concerned. Uh, thankfully, I have a very focused um, piece of content to share with you guys, so hopefully we'll be able to get through this um, together. Let me pray for us, and we will just jump right in. Father, we thank you that uh, you are a God who has revealed himself to us, um, and you have done so uh, in the scriptures, uh, boldly proclaiming throughout um, this idea that you are a covenant-making God who binds himself to a people um, and... Uh, and does so for his own glory and for their good, that they might be a blessing to the nations. Thank you that you're a God who is passionate not only about your people, uh, but, your, but the children of your people. That you repeatedly say that this covenant you make with your people is for them and the generations to follow. Uh, I pray you'd help us to connect some of those dots this morning and, and leave here uh, kind of energized to dig even deeper on how that thread uh, truly drives what we're trying to do in youth and family ministry in the church. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, just to orient you guys a little bit uh, about what we're going to do in this. Okay, it's almost. Um, did, did Richie look at this diagram at all, or did he hang out on the tree? Okay, it's almost all the same content. Most people like the tree better because it seems to show more movement. This is just an attempt um, to put the whole philosophy ministry on one piece of paper. Um, and I'm not going to, Richie's going to be having a whole other session with you guys on, quote unquote, the presupposition. So he'll talk with you more about the, the, theor, the, the, the philosophical part of kind of what the presuppositions are. But just to give you a, what we're doing today, we're going to be talking about two of the presuppositions um, uh, that have to do, that flow out of our, our um, leaning on and growing out of covenant theology. So we're going to be talking in, in this session about the church and the family. Um, as we think about the ministry, you know, he saw, you all saw from the, the soil moving up the trunk and the, the, the goals in the tree and, you know, the poor, sad Holy Spirit raining down. Um, I don't know if he said anything about that. People are like, I'm sorry, Holy Spirit, you're a rain cloud. But anyway, bringing life and all that kind of stuff. So here you're seeing we're moving uh, a student through, you know, towards, uh, towards the goal, the goal reaching, equipping, uh, excuse me, the, the purpose reaching and equipping. Um, those goals, you know, these things coming out of a changed heart, of a new heart, um, this fruit bearing in their life. He talked some about the principles, I think, with you guys. The avenues, this kind of one-on-one, small group, large group um, of ways of kind of, hey, there's really only a few ways you can be moving towards people. Um, and then, uh, but this presuppositions piece, some of the speakers that we've had over the years like to talk about the presuppositions as like the operating system of the ministry. It's, it's the stuff going on in the background. You don't really see it. You know, certainly not programming, but it's just stuff that's true, um, you know, if you will. Others like to talk about it, the DNA of the ministry. Like, your DNA kind of determines who you are. And it's what, no one actually stops and interacts with their DNA necessarily, but it's just, it's, it's your DNA. It's part of who you are. Uh, and I like both of those illustrations um, because, and where they come into play really well, and, and I'm hoping you'll hear this some, is what, what, what is, was super beneficial for me when I first started coming to youth leader training uh, I had been in youth ministry for about eight years, and, and this really gave me tracks to run on to do. One of the most important things it helped me to do was reflection on the why I'm doing what I'm doing in ministry. It did give me some good things to try and think about, but the presuppositions are something that, again, not to talk too much about it because Richie will walk you guys through some of that, but you, know, you can stop and think, for example, a, a, a ministry that doesn't take 
that doesn't take seriously and root its kind of whole thought process on the importance of the local church, you know, what, what would potentially be some fruit of a ministry that sees the local church as peripheral, if not unimportant? Just throw a couple of things out. What, would that, what might that look like? I mean, it's like corporate worship and those kind of things are sort of unnecessary for your ministry. Uh, sometimes they just get in the way. Um, church membership is certainly, you know, regular attendance at a church has really nothing to do with your ministry. Um, it really doesn't take into effect that God is working through a people called to himself. It's more of kind of a Jesus and me approach. We need these students to know Jesus and get saved so they can have the hope of eternal life. Um, but we're not necessarily too concerned whether we introduce them to, to the bride of Christ, um, to the community of believers, um, et cetera, et cetera. Again, sweeping comments to make that comment. You know, and other things about, like, if you, uh, like, the individual, yeah, like, we're going to talk more about that, but a ministry that doesn't take into account that every student is an individual, you know, you're going to be aiming at, like, theoretical, like, oh, that was the, he's, he's a jock. He plays the sports, we're going to treat him like a jock. And he's kind of quiet, oh, he's an introverted, must be a, he must be a gamer. So I'm going to aim it that way. But this, this idea of the individual, we have to be moving to know the sheep so we can work with them. And that's just part and parcel of our ministry, we have to be thinking that way. So hopefully in the course of what we talk about in this session, and then Richie's talking more about presuppositions, we'll get a better idea of that. Um, but it's, uh, yeah, it's intended to be just this, this core set of, of beliefs. And Les actually likes to talk about them now about like ministry dynamics because they really do um, have a really specific connection to the what we do in ministry ministry they color the what we do in ministry um, they really do shape how we go about ministry before we even make a decision to do something a lot of times if we don't slow down to think about what are kind of my fundamental kind of core core beliefs if you will what's stirring in the background of all the decisions i'm making in ministry um, when we don't slow down to think about that oftentimes what it is it's our zeal for students to know the lord or our, our passion for kids, or our just enjoyment of kids, or our love of Jesus ourselves, or the way we did it when we were in youth ministry, or the way this one person who really poured into my life, like that's, that's kind of the only thing really driving underneath the surface for me, if, if, if we don't slow it down. Those are necessarily bad things. Um, but one of the things that we like to talk about just briefly, I think it's on here, is that what we want to be driving our ministry, and I hope you'll hear this phrase a little bit this week, is and, and is part and partial to and crucial to the philosophy of ministry is that, that theology drives ministry. Uh, we want to begin with the scriptures, begin with God, begin with who he is and what he's been doing in his world from the beginning and what he's doing now. And, it's, and there's just things that have been through the ages consistent. That's where it comes from scripture. Theology is what drives our ministry, um, not necessarily you know, this cultural moment, like there's some of us can get so caught up in like, what are we going to do to save our kids from all this gender confusion? We've got to figure it out. What's the book? What's the study? We got to bring it, you know, those are good things to be thinking about, right? But if that begins to drive our ministry, um, we're going to, you know, there's another illustration called the rocket. Those are kind of these ethical kind of tangents that are going to turn the rocket off course. And it's going to be about as effective as some of those scud muscles that never hit the target. We're going to, we're going to get off track. Zeal alone is not a reliable guide for ministry. It must join hands with theology and wisdom. And that's a quote from uh, our, our brother Joey Stewart who shares this hilarious story um, that I will give a very brief version of. Um, he shares a story when he was a young youth pastor and he was talking about uh, there was this, man, this family in the church, this man in the church that everybody knew he was kind of a miser, wasn't around church a lot, but 
in a nutshell, you know, that's kind of people, the people who knew of him, he was just an older kind of crotchety old man or whatever. Telling his youth group once away, uh, I don't know the whole story about how, and Joey's a great storyteller, but he's telling his youth group one night at youth group, you know, he's getting to the rising crescendo of his youth talk or whatever, and he gets to this place where he's like, you know, and if you don't trust in the Lord Jesus, you know, you will be burning in hell just like Mr. Smith is right now, you know, just thought it was going to be the most powerful thing. And, uh, and Joey often says he grew up in Southern Baptist backgrounds, and sometimes he'd get his tent going. But uh, anyway, uh, he says this, you know, and he just he kind of is like, this is great. And then he finds out later on, so uh, he shares that one of the girls, we'll call her Allison, goes home and tells her mom, Mom, did you know that Mr. Smith is burning in hell right now? And mom says, really, where did you hear that? Pastor Stewart told me. So needless to say, that next night, the session called a, a meeting in Joey's honor um, to discuss these things and called him in. And, you know, Joey's like, and they just, you know, just raked me over the coals and told me all these things. And he goes, and it needed to happen because it was wrong. And he walked to the house that the church gave him right across the street, kind of, I can picture Charlie Brown or whatever. Not Charlie Brown. There's, a, there's another pop culture reference that's not coming to my head right now. Um, uh, yes, thank you, George Michael or whatever. Or, yeah, thank you very much. Um, uh, very well done. You saved me there. Um, that was going to bother me, and then it was going to be a problem. Thank you. Um, yeah, just kind of walking away sad or whatever, but the pastor, you know, a couple hours later, uh, comes up, knocks on the door. He goes to the door. It's the pastor, and he's got a, uh, got a care package uh, with him, six of them, um, and they sit, and they talk about failure in ministry and struggles in ministry, and, and it kind of began this learning that, you know, so many of us, senior pastors to youth directors, we run out with an honest and understandable zeal that people's lives would be impacted by the gospel and that that's a good thing but without a sense of slowing down and say okay what uh what's underneath me when i'm going like what's really driving this and encouraging us to remember and one of the presuppositions is that god is at work but that allows us to slow down and think okay what's going on now we don't want to slow down and have like a three-year sabbatical about what we're thinking before we actually talk to someone about jesus right that's the overcompensation but anyway this idea that one of the ways we can kind of simplify a priest, you know, a, a, a ministry that's not super reflective and maybe that's driven by method or, or target is this kind of zeal alone thing. So um, theology and wisdom wants to be combined. And our, our philosophy ministry is going to create some space for that. You know, the, the philosophy ministry is this kind of, is this grid through which, if you will, it's a filter through which, if you will, you take your, your, your doctrine and, and all this content and truth and hope and peace you want to bring to students uh, it's kind of the theology box, if you will. How do we get that to the students? Uh, kind of, it's a method, so to speak. Uh, and if we sometimes run too fast without slowing down to think about how we're going to do that, we oftentimes end up getting steered by method rather than our belief system. And oftentimes in my ministry, even after learning and, and growing some in the philosophy ministry, I was able to slow down and reflect and with my team say, hmm, we talked about things should look like this way, but we reflect on our ministry and we say, wow. We were a really fun ministry this year, weren't we? Uh, we did a great job with all these fellowship events, you know, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So it allowed us to slow down and see how we were somehow getting the cart before the horse. Um, so there is a little bit of um, uh, a little bit of general introduction. So covenant theology um, truly is it's, it's kind of the template for youth and family ministry is what we how we would like to talk about this. It's again, it's 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 these two pieces of the puzzle that we're just passionate about. You know, if you look up RYM, you know, our mission statement, all this stuff is all about serving the church and reaching and equipping youth. Um, we could just say reaching and equipping youth for Jesus, um, but we deliberately and passionately, purposely say we're serving the church in doing that. 
um, we're always asking ourselves, how can we serve the church better in that particular task of reaching students? Um, so the church is huge, but we also want to make sure that we do see, honor, and appreciate the role of the family in our ministries. Um, and for some of you guys, the, the, the methodology piece that we'll get to towards the end, we start thinking about how it fleshes out. It won't necessarily be rocket science or something new to you. You're like, oh, we're already doing this. And maybe even what I'm saying leading up to that is not necessarily new. But I'm hoping that what we can do is have a more concrete connection. Uh, this isn't something that just sounds good because Mark DeVries wrote a great book about family ministry and then 1,700 other people got on board and tweaked it a bunch of ways. And that statistics actually prove that you know, students who have a, a relationship with a, Christian, a non-parental Christian adult in their life is helpful and hopeful. That's all good stuff. Um, and I just want us to continue to stop and go, well, this is it's actually it's kind of God's plan, if you will. Sorry for the Drake reference. Um, is that Drake? Yeah, my bad. I'm not really hip, but my kids tell me stuff. Anyway, whenever I try to, I miss, and my kids love that. They're like, my, my son, for the past couple of years, he's like, isn't it like your job to like know like kind of what's going on in like pop culture and stuff? Because you need to know about that with kids. Like, can we listen to these songs together? And I'm like, well, show me the songs. And it's like, okay, I can tell you what's going on in these four songs. You know, this is, this is misogynistic. This is about drugs and alcohol. This guy is like, we just, can we just pray for these people? No, um, we do listen and we talk about it, but it's just so funny because he's always trying to sneak one in. It's like, no, Dad. And I'm like, okay, there is redemption here, but sometimes you have to really squeeze the rag tight to, to get it out. Anyway, so uh, anywho, um, so here's what we're going to do uh, to kind of tee up um, the trajectory of, of how these two presuppositions can be fleshed out. Um, I wanted to say a couple things about there are lots of attitudes about youth ministry in the church. And I'm, again, in, this is, these are context. These are concepts that we see in the church. Um, <clears throat> I would like to not turn my back as much as possible, but the setup here is not necessarily great. Anyway, um, for me, that is. It's an incredible setup. You could actually attract, attach wirelessly, but I'm too dumb to figure it out. They gave me great instructions. but um, There are a lot of people in the church who think, actually, that covenant theology and the Bible actually says that we shouldn't have youth ministers at all. Um, you, you can't find the, the youth leader by term in the scriptures at all. So, um, you know, thank you for coming. Let's go ahead and close her down. Uh, it's totally just we made it up, right? Um, now, it's really funny. One of my favorite things to do is when we when do some exercises with people, and I would encourage you maybe to do this with like a leadership team, of like let's find pictures of men and women in the scripture who are pouring into the next generation, you know, proactively. And, and I think it's Titus who talks about his grandmother, uh, mother and grandmother, and I was like, women youth ministry leaders and a certain flavor of the church shakes and shudders sorry i love my brothers anyway um i get excited about stuff like that but i should shut up anyways um anyway there are those who say you know we don't need youth ministry um and there's different attitudes so one of them there's there's this idea of you know, we definitely, there's this idea of the church, youth ministry, and family, these kind of three categories, so to speak. They're like, when it comes to raising my kids, we don't need the church. We certainly don't need youth ministry because all we need really is the family. Like the father, I mean, he is the, he's the minister of his home, and his wife and children are his parishioners, and he's the spiritual leader, and he's the one who's going to say it how it goes. And, and it's, you know, it's clear we've got all this to, hey, you know, talk to your children when you're coming and going and when you're waking and sleeping and all that stuff, right? Forgetting that was a corporate call. But anyways, um, this idea, uh, spoken in the context of a larger community, they're saying, hey, we don't need the church to raise our kids. We certainly don't need some, uh, some you know, youngster reaching my kid. I don't know what they're going to be saying, but we definitely need the family. We're big on the family. I um, mean, they're not saying they don't need the church at all, but it ter in terms of reaching the next generation, in terms of ministry to students, 
There's another category that says, yes, we need the church, um, but, we, and we, but we still don't need youth ministry because we, we want the family. These are, this is, we need the church. Uh, the church needs to be doing everything they can to create opportunities for families to be together. It's this uber family ministry, like Sunday school classes are always for families, and family retreats, and, and, uh, and family services, and family resources, and, and it's, it would just be a, they're just really bothered by this, uh, this, this worldly kind of setting off teenagers as their own category. Now, we do know that socioeconomically, or whatever the right word is, that, that was sort of a new term, industrial revolution, blah, 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 blah. Um, I get all that. But they're, they're also missing some of the pieces of the puzzle. Um, Common Grace Knowledge tells us there's a lot we can do age-specifically. We'll talk more about that. There's this other kind of perspective is, you know, yeah, we need the church. And we certainly need youth ministries because it's their job. It's the church's job to raise me and my kids. They're the professionals. They know the Bible. My job is to, to have a good job and pay the bills and provide clothing and shelter for my children and, you know, water them all like their plants or something. It's like, hey, you guys do it. We'll be there on Sunday. You better bring your A game. But if my kid starts, you know, smoking dope and hanging out with the wrong people, I'm, you better change your youth ministry. And what's wrong with this youth ministry? Um, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and again, there's, that's, a very, that's a very white suburban mojo that a lot of us kind of feel sometimes. Um, but that's very true, and again, that's, a, that's an argument slash attitude uh, going on in the ministry. And what we would love to say and what we want to see is this covenantal framework for youth ministry uh, says yes to all three, says yes to the church, yes to youth ministry, and yes to family. Um, and it's built out, oh, I thought the next slide was going to be the kite, but we'll get to that later. Um, no, we won't. I want you to see it right now, fresh after that statement. It's supposed to be like a bam. Right, you get to see all these little things. So this is an illustration that, that Joey developed that we want to say yes to the church, yes to the family, and yes to youth ministry slash age-specific ministry. And we'll see how they all kind of work together later. But, uh, you know, I wanted to say yes, 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 and boom, the kite would go up there. So we got the student. We're leading them to Jesus through the family, through age-specific ministry, as well as through the covenant community, a.k.a. Um, uh, family ministry stuff. Where'd my cursor go? And this is why I'm an idiot. Boom. There we go. So let's take a, uh, before I go into kind of talking a little bit about the covenant and covenant theology, which will be a, some of you guys are like wicked smart compared to me when it comes to theology. Let me give you like a cursory glance here. Before we go there, any questions about something I've said, um, something didn't sound right? Um, I have been known to be thinking I'm saying things clearly and stuff comes out that has nothing to do with what I was aiming at. Um, sometimes that can be confusing. Before we go any further, any questions or comments about? Awesome. Okay. Uh, I'm never offended by, hey, dude, when you said that, what's up with that? You know, I'm okay with that. Um, I'm painfully aware of my willingness to, um, not willingness, my ability to, to steer things confusingly. So anyway, um, there's an invisible uh, quotation mark there at the beginning. You just can't see it. It's not a typo. This never happened. Um, this guy wrote, there's a lot of book, guy, theologians have written about uh, uh, covenant theology and stuff. And um, this guy named O. Palmer Robinson wrote a book called Christ of the Covenants. And he defines the, a covenant as a covenant is a bond in blood sovereignly administered. And the, the piece of this that, that I'm, I'm, you know, I want to, I want, there's a couple things there I want us to think about. Um, um, keep there for now. Uh, this idea that it's a bond that God, when we talk about covenant theology, it's this picture that, that God has bound himself to a people. Uh, he haven't kind of, he didn't sit back and go, all right, we're going to do a draft 
um, you know, let's get a couple angels in here. We're going to get the God team, you know, looking at stat sheets and stuff. No, we see in Deuteronomy 7, you know, that I didn't choose you because you were great and powerful. It's actually because you were small and insignificant so that I could do what I want to do um, through you. Bless you that you might be a blessing to the nation so that my image might actually go out, which was the design from the garden. But God's bonding himself to a people. Um, and we won't go into all the ways and shows these beautiful pictures of that, but uh, we'll, we'll mention some, some of that. Uh, and this idea of this, it being in blood, in that rooted with covenants, and we learn this from ancient Near Eastern history, that when a covenant is made, it's, it's bonded in blood and it's sovereignly administered. This was not an you know, egalitarian kind of, hey, we'll work together on this. You know, the big guy went to the small guy and said, I'm going to commit myself to you. And then you're going to kind of do it this way. There was all these signs and seals and regulations and stuff that... When Joey teaches this, he talks a lot more about that kind of stuff, and uh, I'm, I can change it. Moving on. Um, we're, uh, but this idea of this, this, this gracious kind of sovereign move to, to establish this relationship, um, and, it, and this idea of bound in blood, they would like hack up animals um, and put them on either side, and they'd walk through together and say, if, if I break this covenant, do unto me as we've done unto these animals, this powerful, um, this symbol, uh, this powerful, powerfully symbolic ritual that would occur um, that, that happened. And, and when we say we're talking about covenant, we're going to look at a passage in a second where God, we see how God does this with Abram. It's really powerful. Um, and it's, uh, and it's, it's powerful because there are, there are powerful ramifications of the covenant being broken. What God tells us through scripture is that if the covenant is broken, um, then do unto me, as we've done these animals, death, shedding of blood. But when God makes this commitment with Abram, he actually himself walks through. And we see that he's saying, hey, that if you break the it's not your blood that's on your back. It's, it's mine. And that's where we see this many pictures of how the covenant points us to Jesus. So covenant theology you know, is simply the systematic study of God's redemptive plan for his people. Throughout the scriptures, God is working to call a people into himself via the covenant, via the covenant family, via his covenant to them. You know, the scriptures, you can, one, of, one of my seminary professors said, you can summarize all of scripture with one phrase. I will be your God and you will be my people. Um, it's not... Uh, summarizing scripture is this is the instruction manual for life, which there's some truth to that, uh, or you know this is all the answers you need for life or whatever. But this is this is a sovereign creator God who's saying it's my world, you are my people, and I am yours. And His crown desire is to be near and with His people. Um, uh, shout out to Ed Welch; he's got a new book coming out called uh, God Came Near. I think is it or The Nearness of God or whatever. I don't know. He's been with us at Wild Tea before. I'm a big Ed Welch fan. But um, anyway. That's something that I didn't get for a long time, is that God desires communion with his people. And he's binding himself, and he's shouting at us through scripture over and over and over about that. So the covenant is this framework by which God ordinarily brings salvation to his elect. It's the skeleton of scripture and of all redemptive history. Um, it, uh, it is a robust piece of work, to say the least. So what I want to do is hit just a couple of passages from scripture that, uh, there's so many, um, and, and I'm not going to like exegete like passages and talk about like, Hebrew words and stuff, but I'm hoping, I'm taking for granted that you guys know some of this, and I'm also also knowing that because you're smart, um, you can go and read and learn more about covenant theology after the fact. Um, uh, we, want to, we want to show you and point these things to you, but we also understand uh, we have a limited amount of time to do so. So in Genesis 3, uh, we don't necessarily see the language, the language of covenant, but we see God um, I'm not even going to read any of this, but we see when God made a covenant with Adam um, and, and said he will be his God, he will provide for him, um, and he is his God. And then, of course, Adam broke the covenant 
uh, and the ramifications of that covenant, he was cast out. But even right in the covenant uh, regulations, covenant curses being delivered, that's where we see the first promise of the gospel in that, and that the seed of the woman uh, will, will indeed destroy the seed of the serpent. Um, and uh, one from among your seed is what kind of the scriptures would say. And it's this promise of this Messiah that, that the, all of the Old Testament, through all the different covenants, all these different little pictures, his covenant with Adam, his covenant with Noah, Abram, David, all these moments where these things happen over and over and over. They're all, it's, I like, it's like sneaking the curtain open a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more, seeing how God's gracious work through redemptive history is moving to when, of course, we can, by God's grace, see what the entirety of Scripture you know, the curse just being flung open and seeing the blood being poured out for us on the cross uh, for our covenant breaking and God's commitment to us uh, that nothing could ever separate us from this love. Um, we see that in Genesis 3, but then we're going to see the language really jump off the page. Uh, in Genesis 15, this is when we see, um, uh, oh, this is another paraphrase one, uh, kind of 17 and on in Genesis 15. This is where we see this covenant uh, ritual with God and Abram uh, borne out. Uh, interestingly enough, so when, when God, so they, they, he tells Abram to, Abram to gather all these animals together, you know, uh, some oxes, some, some lambs, you know, some golden retrievers and whatever he needed, you know, and then they hack them in half, you know, and it's bloody and smelly and the little puppies are like, why? And uh, no, um, I steal that joke from Joey. It's really funny when he does that. Um, moving on. Uh, so, but then they walk through it, you know, and then you can just kind of smell and think about this, this crazy thing going on. But of course, but Abram knew what was happening. He knew what was going on, but he was caused to fall into a sleep. And then he kind of is awoken to see, what does he see? This smoking pot and this flaming torch passing between the dead animals, which is like this, he's not, you know, he didn't wake up yesterday. He knows, okay, well, like God appeared in a pillar of fire and the cloud of smoke in the desert as they were wandering through. And that's where the presence of God was. So right here says, I'm here. And I'm moving through these animals, and I'm saying that I'm covenanting myself to you. I'm committing myself. I'm bonding myself to you amidst of all the other things he's been saying kind of in Genesis 15, 16, 17, etc. And, and if the, and if the right requirements of this covenant are broken, I'm going to bear the penalty. This beautiful promise launching us forward thinking, okay, this is a God who is not going not to back down on this covenant. He is passionately connecting himself to God's people and then in chapter 17, establish my 7 through 10. I'm just going to read this where it says, uh, and I will establish my covenant between me and you. And this is where I want you to start hearing as we shift to really see how the covenant has everything to do with what we're doing in youth and family ministry. And I will, blah, sorry, verse 7, where'd you go? I will establish my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you. Right there, these people haven't even been born. Um, I'm covenanting myself to the generations that follow you because of the covenant I make with you. Throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be a God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your, of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abram, as for you, you shall keep my covenant. You and your offspring and, your throughout their, and after you throughout their generations, this is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And we start talking about signs of covenants and stuff like that. We could have a whole talk about baptism and how important that is, but we're not going to talk about that right now. But what we see here is multiple times God going out of his way to say, I'm covenanting myself with you and the generations after you. It's never been kind of like, it's just me and you, Abram, man, you know, uh, 
Jesus and me time. Let's have jam Sunday at 7. Um, I actually went my first, second call went to the, the middle school program on was, was Sunday night jam. I was like, why do they call it Sunday night jam? Jesus and me time. And I was like, we're going to change that. Um, <laughs> I have another acronym that makes my heart sing. It's Sunday night football. We'll change it to Sunday night fellowship. And SNS has been there ever since. Anyway, um, <laughs> moving on. Uh, you can steal the logo. It's just too easy. It's like low-hanging fruit, right? So uh, anyway, um, Deuteronomy 6, another great passage that is often with some of our perspectives in ministry sometimes gets missed. So this is, of course, biblical history's gone on. A lot of stuff's going on here. This is the second giving of the law. They kind of didn't really get it the first time. Um, and uh, I've got a, a, a huge trophy case of golden calves in my life. So as much as I'd like to make fun of them, it's like, I'm all into that. I'm a fool. But anyway, God says some pretty amazing things as he's talking to his community, to the community of believers in Deuteronomy 6. He's going on to, uh, as, he, as he's retelling the law, and then there's, I love Deuteronomy. If you haven't read Deuteronomy and spent some time in it, there's just, Jesus is all over the place in this book. But anyway, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God and Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign in your hand, and they shall be as a frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. There's so much that can be said about this, but what I want you to hear is that this is actually, this is not, um, you know, one nuclear family in the pastor's office. Um, he's speaking to God's people. Um, we are... Yes, the nuclear family, the covenant family, are the essential building blocks of God's covenant community. But even then, you know, every family in the covenant community was not, you know, mom, dad, two and a half kids, golden retriever with a backyard playground set. You know, it wasn't that clean. Uh, household is a word that I've grown to love a lot. And the Bible has a lot to say about household because in our household where God binds himself, you often have, you know, your your son and daughter's friends from school who have no concept of what the church is all about, or it could be people who work with you or whatever. You, you hear me, and, and this, is this, this is a corporate exhortation. You, God's people, are responsible to saturate your lives in who God is, this God that had kids, soul, and strength. It, it ought to be hard. This is what one pastor told me before we had kids. It sounds like sounds too simplistic, but like one of the ways we can flesh this out in our homes um, is that it ought to be hard for our kids to enter a room of our house or have a conversation of any substance where Scripture and or the truth of God is not seen or heard. Um, and I'm thinking, that sounds weird. Like, I have to, like, have verses on the, you know, on the ready, you know? And it's like, not necessarily, but, like, when your kids ask about this, I, like, just walking when our kids were alone, walking through a park or going somewhere, like, I'm like, oh, that's really cool. Look at that. It's like, isn't that awesome how God made that? Like, boom, just all the time. Uh, that, that created, it's not just that it's a cool animal, but like, isn't that awesome how God made that? Or isn't it weird that God put two eyes on the side of the flounder? What's up with that? You know, um, you know, whatever it may be, but just like God, this, or when he brings, you know, some of my kids get a little older, you know, and one of my friends is really kind of weird, you know, and he dissed that and the other, it's so hard to get to know. And I'm like, man, um, he's made a lot, he's a lot different than you. So some different interests, you know, that his family situation might be a little different. God's, we need to, what does it look like to love him? You know, just throwing God into everything all the time. Um, and we, of course, implicit in this, right, as parents and as believers who have a generation below us, whether they're our kids or our neighbor's kids, we can't pass down when we're not holding. Um, you know, the whole pass the baton mojo is not an awful illustration, but it's not great. But one of the things we forget about that is you can't pass the baton if you're not holding it. 
we've got to be people who are saturating our lives in the scriptures and in the gospel. Um, it can't become like, you know, we get six hours a week, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, whatever your you know, it's got to be this thing that just, that saturates our lives. And it doesn't have to be programmed, you know, it can be just, can be beautiful artwork. It can be just a quick, man, I am praying for you today. Let's quick prayer before you head up to the bus stop. God, we thank you for this awesome day. I love this guy. Be with him. Get out. Pound. Boom. You know, it's like some of our vivi thou prayers are like, you what? Um, anyway, you hear what I'm saying, you know, just like this over and over. But the cool thing is there need to be people, and I'm getting a little ahead of myself, but in the context of God's covenant community, our kids can rub shoulders with other men and women who, who are, who are kind of walking in that same water with them, whether they're actively like a leader in your youth ministry or they're just like Mr. Jones who sits on pew three, you know, station four every Sunday. Um, if he can somehow, if he can somehow see that he has a role to play in passing the gospel on to the next generation, um, things start happening pretty amazingly. Um, I hung out there a little longer. Psalm 78 is another favorite passage of mine um, when we think about the role of the covenant community reaching the next generation. Um, the psalmist, this is part of worship, the psalmist talking about how important it is. Again, the corporate, this is the gathering of God's people. This isn't a one-on-one -on -one with a pastor and a dad struggling to reach his kids. Psalm 78, um, you know, we will not hide them, the things he said before, the things that we've heard and known, these, this, this truth of the gospel uh, that our fathers have told us. Um, but we will open our mouth. Uh, we will utter the dark saying from of old, just the stories from the Old Testament. Um, it says, we will not hide them from their children. And it's interesting, their children. This is talking about even like we can't raise. I'm so thankful that God has set it up that I'm not the only person to raise my kids to, to know about God. Because if that were the case, first, it would be a little bit truncated. Second, I'd be a little bit scattered because my gene family was scattered sometimes. But like there, I'm so thankful for there's a guy in that other room named Ben Constable who's been my, my son's kind of small group leader uh, for the past like four or five years. Um, and just a volunteer dude, he's one of our YM interns now, but like, I'm so thankful for them, you know, every so often they'll go grab a meal together. I'm so thankful that he can just ask questions about stuff with Ben. Sometimes they just talk about basketball, but sometimes they, he's, he asks questions. And again, I'm not expecting Ben to like, you know, have all the answers, but there's another Christian dude who's a little bit further down the road who's just talking life with him, praying for each other and bearing burdens. And, uh, and I'm confident that Ben knows things about me um, that my son has shared that I'm not crazy about, but that's okay. Um, as Scotty was saying, like, if the gospel's real, then why would I pretend otherwise, right? Um, and where sin is most evident is in our homes. Moving on. Um, the uh, uh, I didn't interrupt myself. We will not hide them for their children, yes, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done. We need to be making sure this is happening in word and deed uh, where people, ourselves, and others um, it, is, it is a burning passion of ours that there, that there would not be a generation who is not hearing it. Uh, I'm not, it's a whole other seminar on the challenges it is for us to, for our voice to be heard amongst the bajillion other voices in our world. Um, I hear that, I know that, um, but that goes back to the importance of the, of the church, that we don't think church is something you go to on Sunday to, get, to check off your moral thing. It's like this is the community to which you have the most belonging. Uh, we want our kids to begin to have that category. Like my kids, we're going to church regardless, you know, I want to, I'm tired, like, I am tired too, um, and there are sometimes Sundays, you know, where we, you know, it's okay, you know, we don't get demerits in heaven for missing church here and there, but like, it is the routine of our life to gather with God's people, it's less about what's there for me, it's I just need to be there with God's people, I need to hear the story again, God is great, I'm a sinner, he's pursued me, he's washed me clean, 
and now he's sending me out in the world to bless my neighbor in some way, shape, or form. And to come back next week and talk about all the ways I failed at it, but I need to hear it again. And I've helped my kids as best I could. And I've said this in youth ministry years as a youth pastor. When you're in there, no matter how bad you think the sermon may be droning or you don't like the music, if nothing else, look around the room and go, wow, all these people of different shapes and sizes and ages and stuff, they need the same Jesus I need. Like everywhere and in here, even if they pretend otherwise, like, you know, that crotchety old dude over there, man, he's no better than me in God's eyes. And Jesus loves him like he loved me. I mean, just creating those categories for covenant community, God's bound himself to us as a community. You have more in connection, more in common with, and more relational collateral, eternally speaking, with, you know, with that community than you do any of your sports teams or any of your besties or whatever. Uh, not that you can't have friends outside of the covenant community or even outside of, you know, the faith or whatever, but let, that's important to have those relationships. But this is home. This is where you can look at these people and know that God has bound himself to us. And that's a category we need to be introducing. And it's so much of what these things are, I'm just going to say this now so I won't forget to say it later. Uh, we need to leaning on the leadership of our church to see that youth ministry is not a program of the church. It, to a certain degree, is the agenda of the church. Um, if there's a common message through the scriptures, it's this message is for you and the next generation. We have to always remember that in our congregation of 75 or 775, there are 12-year-olds out there who need to know that the people preaching and teaching see them and know them. That doesn't mean you have to have like crafty, cool illustrations, but just they need to know it. Um, and they need to have that on their hearts and minds. Like we as our churches need to, like corporate worship is part of your youth ministry. It's not something they may or may not go to. These kind of little things are paradigm shifters, and that's because we passionately understand that covenant theology is moving us to the next generation. It's not just how we have a, a, a little thing here. It's like our churches must, must take seriously uh, and creatively and uniquely this over the course of time. What ways are we giving space? I'm getting ahead of myself for the next generation to see and hear what the gospel looks like. Um, uh, Acts chapter 2 is the last passage I'll read. It obviously, you know, a whole bunch of redemptive history has occurred here. But here we're moving into the New Testament, and we hear Peter, um, you know, Peter uh, uh, taking up uh, the, the call, if you will, that we see throughout the scriptures, but in 38 and 39, you know, and Peter said to them, it's, it's just this incredible sermon, but he begins to grab a hold of covenant language. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, the fulfillment of this covenant promise. For you, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone from the Lord our God himself. As, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many others, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, um, et cetera, et cetera. This, this, this very clear call that, you know, we had household baptisms and all these things going on like the, we, we've so, we have, there's a correct critique of siloing off youth and just teen only this and teen only that. That's a correct rebuke that the church did get wrong for a long time and even community-wise we did get wrong. And, and, uh, and there's, thankfully there's been some good writing and good leadership I've gleaned a lot from that some of them aren't necessarily rooting it in covenant theology. It's just common grace knowledge that we, we can't just put them off in a, in, a, in a room and entertain them and expect them to walk with the Lord. But the, but the Bible and the gospel and redemptive, God's redemptive plan has always been bigger than, than uh, individual conversions. It's how can we have a community that is growing up a community, that they might be a community, to grow a community that all brings grace and honor to the Lord. Um, those are a couple of, of windows in there. I would love to say... Uh, I would love to ask, leave it there for a second, um, 
There could be covenant verses or maybe a little snippets from you've heard from a pastor or a book or something that you're thinking, you know, you thought maybe I would reference another passage from the scripture or something. Is there anything that you, anybody would be like, oh, yeah, there's just one thing that I've heard once that was really cool along these lines before I kind of shift into some other stuff. Just curious because there's so much, there's a lot of wisdom in here. If you have it and don't want to say it, that's also fine. Cool. Any questions about some of those passages or something about the covenant theology? Again, that was not a lesson on covenant theology as much as it was just a couple of little glances behind the curtain at some of the texts. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I mean, simple and easy are not synonymous. That's something I've also learned. There's a lot of very simple things in life, um, uh, like, you know, being on time to a meeting. Um, like, I'm going to meet you at this restaurant at noon. Like, I live my life 10 minutes behind. I've gotten a lot better, um, but I used to think it was no big deal, like, whatever. But, like, it's actually very disrespectful, and it doesn't honor people's time. And there's things, but, like, and it's not hard. But, like, I can make decisions to be on time, right? But it's not necessarily easy. You have to make decisions. You have to arrange things. You have to be thoughtful. Um, and like, like he was saying, you know, that, that, that creating a culture in your church that helps families see that, like, that creating a, a culture in your home that, that sees and experiences and understands the gospel and the scriptures, that, that's simple, but it's not easy. Um, uh, and it, especially if that's not been a case at all, you're, it's, almost, it's almost like parents are hearing, like, you're asking me to completely turn everything we've done upside down, and I feel ashamed, and I feel guilty, and now I just, it's a hopeless cause. So a lot of the work, that's why it's often not wise to start with. We're introducing a new program, Family Worship Night, you know, and everybody's like, ah. Oh. Um, if I go, that means I haven't been doing it and I need help, and then everybody knows that I'm a failure, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, it's where, it, it's, it's super, it's simple to a certain degree, but it is challenging. Um, when we pull the kite up at the end, we'll kind of play out some ideas and actually hear some ideas um, because it's, it's, it's a simple concept to keep the whole crowd in mind, but it's, uh, it's not necessarily easy to choose how to encourage people to go that route. I mean, there's, there are some things that are pretty straightforward. That's a good point, though. It's, it's, it's nuanced. It's hard. Um, but it doesn't have to be uh, the, great, um, the great programming. You know, there's a great program out there I have to do. And I, there's a ton of programs out there you could try. Um, but again, so long as we look to a, a great program that'll connect, that'll, that'll answer the family worship problem, then, again, we're, we're getting way ahead of ourselves. We're looking for method. Um, again, try things out so long as they're rooted in, in the right place. Uh, so one of the, this is the last little, I'm going to try to fly through this. This is another area when we think about as we move towards the kite, as we move towards application. Okay, so we've all agreed, at least in theory, we want to bring our students, uh, we want to lead our students, you know, and we want to see kids in our church, and they could be neighborhood kids. We want to be a community that is about, we want the next generation to hear about the Lord. Uh, so often these children, you know, we're leading them. We want kids to be good kids. We want them to make the right decisions. We want them to, to not, you know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. No way, you know. Uh, uh, et cetera, et cetera, silly examples, you know, but functionally, we're kind of leading them to the law in this moment. Again, nothing wrong with the law. It's good, but or where are we leading them? Are we, or, or our doctrine, you know, we want our kids to be able to understand justification, sanctification, glorification, uh, et cetera, et cetera. We want them to know that, uh, that they're not saved by works and they can't impress God. Some of the things that Scotty was saying last night, you know, we want them to know their stuff. 
And we have just robust teaching in our church and our youth ministries. And, you know, we got sixth graders parsing Greek, and it's just awesome. And we feel really good about ourselves. Um, you know, the whole mini seminary youth ministry model is out there, and it's alive and well. And it, again, there is beauty there, right? There's, we want our kids to know doctrine, right? Even as um, uh, Camille was talking about, these kids who've grown up in the church for the first time articulating what they believe. And I will say articulation, and, and you know, one of the little windows I have into years of ministry, some of you guys have been in the game a long time. Um, I saw that as kind of a failure of mine as helping kids articulate their faith better. Um, and that's something that I work with some youth workers on. How can we do that better? I'd love to hear your stories on that. But anyway, a uh, whole other story. But anyway, church activity. We're, we're, every time the door's open, we're there. You know, we're, that's just, we get them, we checked our box there. Um, not a bad thing, but again, we don't want to lead them there. And sometimes it's ourselves. We're, our expectations, our hopes, avoiding our fears, things not going, as parents, I should say, or even people who love them. But ultimately, we end up leading, we're leading kids to these things, Right? Uh, without realize, without being thoughtful, we want to lead them to Jesus, right? We would we start with this desire to lead them to Jesus, but sometimes we don't get there because we're we're actually aiming lower than we need to. We need to be leading them to Jesus through our doctrine, through the law, um, through church activities. Um, one of my favorite little stories: um, I had I had just showed up at Clemson Presbyterian for my first youth pastor call right out of seminary. I showed up in late December. Uh, this was in 2000, so like they had a house. What do they call it? A, a, a a pounding or whatever, when they bring you a bunch of food to stock your pantry or whatever. And I arrived in late December 1999. Guess what we got in our, well, some of y'all are too young to even know what I'm talking about. But we just got everyone's Y2K panic kits. Uh, because everything worked out fine, nothing happened. So we had a whole bunch of water and long-lasting candles and, like, a whole bunch of, like, things that had, you know, 10,000-year shelf life, like Twinkies and Oreos and other glorious things like that. But anyway, we got there, and, uh, and there was our, I worked with, as I was heading from St. Louis to Clemson, plan a ski trip. They had a ski trip uh, in February. We get there and we go on the ski trip and there were these two brothers that went who were peripheral to the ministry, not believers, kind of goofballs. One of the guys in the, tr in the youth group invited them. Uh, they knew each other from school and, uh, and, and this was back in the day when we, when we slept with students on retreats. Um, so I'm in the bed with this student. It's kind of funny when you say that, but it's also a little bit weird. Um, oh, what just happened? I think this, the Lord said, you just said you slept with a student. So I'm going <laughs> to ruin your presentation. Um, Anyway, I have a lot of fun stories from this particular student. But anyway, um, you know, it's 2 o'clock at night. We're tired. You know, we've been talking and laughing. And finally, the lights are out. We're getting quiet. And then Jay, um, Jay Stellwagen is his name, uh, serves in the Air Force Station in South Dakota, South Dakota right now. Uh, I think, or North Dakota. There's a base up there. I digress. Anyway, he's like, so Michael, the other day I was reading through the Ten Commandments. And I was like, oh, what you going to say? He's like, no one can really keep that, right? That doesn't seem fair. And I was like, okay, God, here we are, 2 a.m., first night of the ski retreat. You're, we're going to go there. So sure enough, you know, we talked about the law, but the goal was to help him to see Jesus. And sure enough, at 3.30, he's praying to receive Jesus in, in the bed that we were sleeping in together. Um, so I'm just saying, there's some merits there, right? Um, you know, if, if I would have been somewhere else, maybe he wouldn't have. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, please don't sleep with your students, um, like, at all. I'm really glad that this is recorded right now, I think, and uh, <laughs> it'll be part of our uh, ministry training online for the world to listen to. Um, hopefully they erase that part. Anyway, I digress. Uh, so, yeah, we want to be leading them to Jesus. Yeah, and the law can be an effective means of that, right? Um, and, and also in your church activity, obviously, we want to be leading them to Jesus. So back to our picture of the kite. Um, we have students. We want them to get to Jesus. We want them to, to, we want them to be uh, their identity to be in Christ. 
the bride of the church, the Lord of his people, the one who does rule over all of God's people, sitting on the throne. Um, but we want to do that uh, through the family, through age-specific ministry, a.k.a. youth ministry. You could even talk about children's ministry here. But also through the covenant family, through covenant community. You can use intergenerational, transgenerational, just not just a bunch of people just like you, right? Um, A.k.a. teenagers or the uh, uh, young adult leaders who are still teenagers, actually. Um, a little stab, but we love them. Um, I, I, for years, loved the fact that I could continue youth ministries for some of my younger leaders um, and see the light bulbs go on in their life uh, as they served, which was super cool. Um, anyway, uh, so yeah, what, what the kite intends to communicate, so you've got the Holy Spirit steering it here, and you see these cross arrows like there's, it'd be really easy for us to say, yeah, the family is important. We've got we to gotta hammer out a really defined family ministry program at our church, and that's not in and of itself wrong. But if we, if we over-focus on the left side to the family, you know, the kite's not flying. It's just going to spin around in circles, if you will. Again, it's an illustration. It's not perfect. We're trying to help you see that it's, you know, for the kite to fly right, it's got to be balanced. It's got to be going on here. And again, when, you think, when I say the word balance, I'm not talking about like, oh, so six hours with family and six hours with covenant. We can, oh, we can only do this with youth ministry. Like, you know, just keep in mind, like, all three of these pieces of the puzzle are crucial to, to bringing kids to Jesus. So if we're thinking about family, some of y'all are like, well, I'm like a 25-year-old youth director. What am I supposed to do there? Um, it may not be that you're like teaching a class to moms and dads on how to you know, talk to their kids about the gospel. Um, but what it could be that you are doing everything you can to kind of know who the parents are. Who, what's their story? Like, like when kids are getting dropped off, it's, some of the parents don't want it. But like you need, you need to know who their parents are, learn their names. Hey, you know, if, they, if they're down with calling them Joe and Jane, go for it. If it's got to be Mr. and Mrs. so-and-so, go for it. But, like, they need to know that you know them and that you respect them. And, like, it's, I'm so glad that Billy's able to come again tonight. We love having him here. Um, and they're like, what? I just met my child. You know, what? <laughs> you know, thank you. You're awesome. You know, I just met him. No, um, you know, this idea of we need to connect with them. They need to be seen and heard. And it's not only just us, but this is something that, that the church has to see uh, another thing that I, I'm so frustrated with is many of our churches are functioning as if parents hearing the sermon on Sunday is enough to equip them to lead their kids uh, at home. You know, that's just like a snippet, right? That's like, it's, it's less about, I mean, the, the sermon's important, but like we have to be asking, how can we through the course of our year be, be thinking about parents? First and foremost about equipping them is it's got to be like showering them with the gospel. So much of, if you have kids, you know what I'm about, you understand what I'd say. So much of parenting is dealing with shame and guilt. Parents' shame and guilt. It's the most terrifying and overwhelming experience on the planet. From the moment you hold your child for the first time and like you have no control over this little thing. You can't make them breathe or make their heart beat. And like, and at the same time, you do have control of your ability to drop them uh, or like say the wrong thing. And now that I've got an 18-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 14-year-old in the house, I'm like, I'm seeing some of the fruit of some of my foolishness, if you will. And it'd be easy for me to just go, I'm out. I just totally ruined everything, you know. And my kids are awesome. But like you can see these things, you know, um, that you're like, oh, I know exactly where this problem's coming from. Or you begin to see things over time. So there's no quick fix. But churches and pastors and one another, we've got to be reminding our parents of the gospel that Jesus in his glory can actually lead your kids to a robust faith in him through your biggest failures. Um, let's, 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 let's remember that. And that is family ministry. That's leading kids to Jesus through the family so that parents can actually say I'm sorry to their kids at home without thinking that everything's just going to go to hell in a handbag. So that's, that's family ministry right there. 
when moms and dads say, hey, kiddos, um, you guys came home and I was berating your mom like a, you know, like a Tommy gun with X, Y, and Z or whatever, I was so wrong. Uh, and I've talked to her about this and, you know, whatever. You know, just this, these pick, this, is, this, is, this is wearing it on the front lines. This is on the doorposts when the gospel is, is, is going out there. And I'm not saying there's not a time to teach content. But if we only focus on, like, we need the Bible study, we need the book, we need to figure out how to do family worship perfectly. So often, you know, kids are picking up things from the, from the moment. But before they can talk, they're learning and interpreting and leaning into truth and coming up with truth on their own. So those are the kind of things we need to think about as a church. The youth ministry role, uh, that's I mean, just knowing them, over-communicating to parents, helping them know what you're teaching when you teach, um, strategically and wisely asking for feedback. Uh, you can't over-communicate enough with families and parents um, uh, in terms of, I mean, you can't over-communicate. But, like, if no one's reading your emails, find another way. Uh, be strategic. Also be personal. Uh, one of the, my best things I ever did well into ministry, I just started meeting any of the dads who kind of had that mojo where they could, like, take a break for lunch, mid-work day or whatever. I began to learn who they were and be like, dude, I'll, I'll meet you at the subway or by your office or whatever. And we would just meet and get to know Mr. Smith like, and learn about him. Um, and I was, you know, I had young children when I started doing this, and these were older guys and I was super intimidated. But man, as soon as I was able to just to say, okay, Jesus, this is something that people are telling me is a good idea, I'm terrified. Um, and it just broke down so many walls. It opened up conversations. I learned so much about their kids and them and some of their challenges. And, and we walked away from those things just knowing each other. And again, that's because I believe the family is crucial. They're not parents. Like a side, car, side conversation I've done electives on it. Parents are not your enemy. They are your best asset in ministry. Sometimes they do get in the way, but we have to know them even if they are kind of the obstacles. We need to know them, love them, and serve them as well. Parents know their kids far better than you. Um, their influence over them is far more than yours, for good or for ill. So anyway, seeing them is half the battle. That's why this is a presupposition, not a practice. You flesh out the practices as you see them as crucial to bringing our kids to Jesus. And the other thing is this idea of covenant community, that, that the people they come to church with, sometimes this is just helping the rest of the church see that the youth ministry is not just a program that happens down there in you know, the worst room of the building, um, which a whole other you know, soapbox I could get on, you know. A lot of youth feel like there's nothing much for them is because we give them a bunch of junky furniture and put them in a room and say, just stay out of the way and don't break anything important, you know. Uh, invest in our students. Show them that we care, et cetera, et cetera. But that's a whole other soapbox. And again, not all churches have even any space to save it for youth, and that's a whole other deal. So helping our churches to see, and this is from the way, you know, getting students involved in your Sunday morning worship is not the answer to intergenerational ministry, but it is a piece of that puzzle. To see kids moving it around the room in your worship chord, like what if you know, you know, awesome. Something tells me that there was a few missed chords uh, in in the history of the church, but uh, uh, God can be honored there because they're there, right? And it's less about the music and more about these kids being a part of it. Um, and, and our preaching needs to remember that there are middle schoolers in the room. Uh, and again, that doesn't mean you have to you know make a SpongeBob reference every now and then. I know that's like a thirty-year-old reference, but moving on. Um, I go with low-hanging fruit so everyone knows. But uh, anyway, it's just a matter of, of seeing them and knowing them. And so, sometimes it's just as simple as saying, when it gets to the application pieces or stories, just stopping and saying, you know, some of you some of our, you guys are in middle school right now. You know, I just wanted to say something real quick to you guys. You know, that moment, context of, he even knows I'm here? Um, that's just those little things. And that, that's just in the context of corporate worship. But, but our Sunday school classes, our, um, our, our retreats, um, I made a bold move one year. That, again, this wasn't my idea, but I heard it, and I was like, I'll try this out. Um, every event I did in youth ministry uh, for a number of years when I was in St. Louis, uh, I invited my session to join. Come on out to the retreat. Come on. 
I was terrified. Um, and every so often one of them would come um, and just check it out um, because I wanted them to see what was going on. I wanted them to participate. But, if, but actually what I wanted was at the end of a weekend, students to go, oh, that guy's an elder of our church. That's, that's Mr. Smith. Um, he's a banker, played football at Missouri. He's enormous and terrifying, but nah, see, he's just a, he's a teddy bear or whatever, you know, just whatever it may be. Um, I invited, uh, that happened once, and one of the uh, elders who was relatively old CPA, um, uh, retired CPA accountant, came on a mission trip with us into the inner city, and he was the, one of the elders I was terrified with. I got to, as an assistant pastor, I've always been welcome at our session meetings, but all that to say, I would watch these things happen. He was just got this detailed guy, he was tall, and been around a long time. I was terrified, but he came, and like, I was just like, oh, this is going to be great. I'm going to lose my job after this, because he's going to see, because I'm a spaz, and he's Mr. Order, but like, very quickly, all my fears were alleviated when he was walking up, he was lining up across from like a 10-year-old kid while we were playing a game of flag football, and he looked across the little kid, and he, and he goes, come on, you ready, you ready? And the kid goes, I hope you got insurance, old man. And he's like, he's like, what are you telling me? He goes, you're about to get burned, you know, and, and so, you know, he runs by him, and all the kids are seeing him laugh and laughing at, you know, uh, uh, at him, and, and then we prayed together, and he was part of conversations. He wasn't super, like, but, but at the same time, literally everything about me and his relationship changed. He understood what we were trying to do with youth ministry so much differently. Um, we had follow-up conversations after the fact where he began to speak into things. He actually helped me learn how to run Excel. Um, one of two people that introduced me to this amazing program that I'm still pretty all these things happen, but again, and then he tells his wife, their small group of primarily senior adults end up coming visiting some su Sunday night fellowship stuff as we started doing some small groups coming and they knew each other by name. Again, little bitty things because they're not, because they're just organic part of the church. Again, sometimes it worked well, sometimes it didn't. Uh, sometimes you have a lunch with somebody like, I'm never having lunch with them again. That was terrifying. Um, I don't want them anywhere around my students, you know. Um, <laughs> thankfully, someone else is working in this person's life, but I'm not going to be that one. Um, but we, again, it's less about practice, more about we have to see that those people in our church, uh, I've had small group leaders say, I would love to lead a small group, and I was terrified because, like, you're, you know, you have no children, you you're seem really quiet, and you just you don't fit the bill, but they've turned out to be sometimes some of the best small group leaders ever because, and where they want it was not in their teaching, but, like, twice a month, they're inviting the girls over their house, and they're baking like machines. There was one benefit because a lot of that baked goods end up in my office because that was a prof. That was a pro. Um, anyway, all this idea of, of connecting people in creative ways, not because it's, again, programs are fine, but not because of a program, but like our kids need to know the people in our church. They can't know all of them, but are there ways that we're helping them see the kids and the kids see them? Um, sometimes that can be through a program. Sometimes it can be um, uh, creating prayer avenues where you can give cards to folks and they can be praying for students. There's a bajillion ways to practice it because that's the thing that they need to have each other in their life. We will miss it. We won't go there because that's a little bit tr trickier because um, we're often, you know, we're terrified. I mean, all the okay boomer stuff going on is not helping either. But uh, uh, that was when it had to stop at our house when one of my kids texted back, okay, boomer. And I was about, this is about to go down. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, in the age-specific piece, I don't have to say a lot more, but I just want you to say but, the, but Common Grace tells us that when you get a collective group of people in a room together, um, what we've learned in time, like like middle schoolers, need to be taught differently than 25-year-olds. You know, high schoolers, there's such an incredible gap between a 6th grade boy, you know, and a 12th grade girl. Like, this is literally solar systems away in what you, in how to approach things, right? Um, in terms of life, there's not a lot of life difference. You know, 6, 7 years, maybe. 
But like, we have to, it's, it's, we need to know it's okay to get a group of kids in a room together and do something uniquely with them so that they might engage the truths of Scripture together, you know, and not be afraid that we're not necessarily siloing off and making them their own place, you know, because every single time you do that, in a sense, one of the things I love, uh, try, as you think about your events, some of us are in big ministry, some are in small, but like, sometimes some of y'all are like dying to get anyone to come be a chaperone, much less help be a leader, and I that's a whole conversation we could have. It is one of the challenges. You're like, yeah, I want people in my church, but like, they're all scared of the kids. The kids are scared. I would never make that happen, but maybe it's just a prayer thing. But anyway, on your retreats, like over adult chaperone your retreats as much as possible. Uh, a favorite story of mine was a guy who was doing ministry in, in Alabama. He had a big retreat, and I was talking, how's the retreat going? It's great. He goes, he goes, yeah, we had like, you know, 55, 65 kids there. It was awesome. We had a great time. He goes, you know, the thing that I love the most, we had 70 adults there. So was that a youth ministry retreat? Um, <laughs> You know, not all of them were like leading small groups, and you know, but they were, they were a part of the bigger adventure, so to speak. Some were running this, some were that, some were the drivers, and they just lingered. Some were more involved than others. But like this idea of like you can find creative ways for people to know each other just in what you're already doing by finding avenues to know it doesn't like we don't have to be terrified by things that necessarily feel terrifying because it's, so it's sort of simple to find ways to connect. And again, most times when you take a retreat or a small group, most of our, there was kind of a big student-led movement going on, and that's not always awful, but like if you have small groups or if you have a small group after a teaching time or have a retreat or anything, you're, you're, you're accomplishing age-specific and transgenerational ministry at the same time almost all the time because you've got an adult in the room leading and discussing and facilitating. And, and those leaders need to know that while content delivery is important, them being you know, co-gospel-saturated people alongside people 10 years, 15, 20 years younger than you is probably the bigger investment. Uh, I tell leaders, especially like, you know, kind of last-minute fill-in teachers, um, I tell them all the time, uh, I want the kids to walk out of the room thinking that what you just taught about matters to you and has changed your life and how the gospel is, how that particular text is working out in your life more than I want them to know, not in an absence of, but more than I really care about, you know, context and all those things. It's important. But, and, I, and I can say that because I know that they're, they're going to corporate worship and there's other things going on. There's another Bible study where we can dig deeper. But like if I have someone come, I want people to go, man, Miss Johnson is a teacher at the high school. And I see her all the time. But she prays every day before all of her classes quietly in her head because that she would somehow really almost like those kids. I'm like, that's cool how she's flushing out her faith. And at the end of the day, she, she knows she's done this, that, or the other. And I'm just like, her faith matters to what she does, you know, or whatever it may be. And like you're again, once again, that's a moment where we're honoring the, the covenant community and in the context of a of a, of a age specific place. The goal is always bringing them to Jesus. Uh, we're not stopping just. To, isn't it awesome that that these kids know this group of adults and they hang out together and hunt and fish and stuff? But like if there if there's not communication of in embodied or actively uh, bringing people to Jesus and seeing fruit there, we need to continue to wrestle. How can we continue to nuance things? Um, yes, uh, let's stop for a second. Throw some pushback. Give me some questions. Again, um, I've ventured into some little windows of practice and application, but I'm hoping that you saw how if I begin every year of ministry, every month of ministry, every kind of season of ministry with, with, with a presupposition of the importance and the fundamental reality of the church and the family, it's going to color how we apply things because we're going to be thinking how important that is and not just we don't need the family or the family somebody else's job or whatever. Yes?
right? Yeah, I mean, the, the cross line, um, you know, I, I think what's intended to communicate there is just there's a lot of interplay, you know. Uh, it's not clearly defined like it's family ministry when it's only, you know, the parents. And, you know, there's a lot of family ministry happening amidst of the covenant community. There's also a lot of covenant community ministry happening in the context of family. Um, I think the best, the best way, to, I mean, the easiest way to say it is to continue giving ideas about how you're, you're connecting the dots of not just me aiming at Steve. Oh, Steve, I've not used that random name before. I usually go Billy. Uh, Billy and Susie are my go-to names. But it's like me and Billy and, like, answering his questions and trying to lead him to Jesus or... Or helping Billy's family uh, figure out a way to, you know, articulate the faith to Billy. And it, it gets too boxy that way. But it's more about, like, when you're thinking about Billy, you're remembering he's a context of a family. Um, and, you're, and, the, and that starts talking about individuals. Okay, well, as I'm ministering him in the age-specific zone, what are, as I learn about him and get to know him and I hear about some challenges at home, what are going to be some ways that might encourage his family uh, to be a part of what I'm doing with an injury. What are some ways that I can speak into that? Some of the easy ways to do that, you know, are, are with going with over communication. It takes work. It's a simple idea to send an outline and brief summary of what you've taught Sunday school in Sunday school to your kids. Um, it's not hard. It's simple, but it, it means you actually have to slow down and do that, and then create the document and actually hand it to parents or send it to them. And then it's also a little challenging because what if they reply with, "Well, I don't like what you taught my kid." You know, or should you, you know, we have to be ready for that. But again, that's, it's honoring them by communicating and you're letting, you're letting them in. Um, same thing with covenant community. The covenant community one is, it's just the ideas and possibilities are countless because if you, if you don't force it into little boxes, I mean, we also need, to, and it's so much of this stuff I should say, I meant to say this earlier, it sounds like I'm ignoring um, children who are not church members or kind of the outside community like Intergenerational ministry can be happening when, when your kids are, are being coached by a believer who goes to another church or, or you've got kids in your community coming to your church. Their parents have nothing to do with your church and you're thinking about what would it be like, what could we do to serve that family that wouldn't be a, a, oppressive to them or judgmental to them um, and sometimes send them a letter, you know, I just want you to tell you you've got a great kid, whatever, you know, whatever it may be. And sometimes they may say, well, that's not the way he acts. I had this actual, I was trying to encourage a parent with their son who came and said, well, that's not the way he acts at home. He's disrespectful, and he's got some kind of problems, and we're going to shape him up. And I'm like, this is going to be a challenge. Thankfully, I don't have to fix this, but I'm going to continue to try to love and honor and just helping her be seen, the mom, single mom type situation. So uh, I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I think the, big, the, the challenge I would encourage you to think through is that there's lots of interplay in all three of these. The common goal with everything we're doing is that, folks, when I say Jesus, identity in Christ, uh, 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 fleshing out the gospel, meaning not trying to perform, not, you know, not living for, for people's approval, uh, parent, parents with their shame and guilt stuff, and also just being real, um, and, and also the rest of the church doing the same thing, creating a community of people who are, whose identity is rooted in Christ. Again, these, you can't snap and make these things happen. It, there are going to be people who are on board and loving it. There are people who just, you could say it 100 times, it just it doesn't, the penny doesn't drop. Um, maybe not helpful. Okay. Got there. So, Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe. 
backstory on that, that you have, that's for strategic invitation of parents. There are certain situations where that's not great, especially with middle school. Um, most of the things I was thinking about that I invited like the session to, or these were typically high school events that were pretty focused um, and had space where it wouldn't be invasive for certain people to be there. Um, I was, I was all, there are a lot of times where I want parents to be at things, but there are a lot of events and things we do that I necessarily wouldn't want them to be there for obvious reasons. I've had parents say, I'd love to be a small group leader. You talk about you want parents to be involved with stuff, and I'm thinking to myself, no one will come to your small group, um, and some might leave the church if you lead them. Um, so I'm like, I'm like, thank you. We've got everything taken care of. You know, and then I just, what I, what I, what I honor, though, is this is a person who sees value in what we're doing, and, and, I, and I just try to, a little bit, try to get to know them. And oftentimes, you know, we can get to know each other. And the more I get to know them over a couple meals or conversations and talk about what's happening there, sometimes they're going to self-select and go, oh, okay, I understand that. But I just, it's like honor, thank you, good, you know, blah, blah, blah. But no, you know those people. Um, I like to ask students when I'm needing to build a ministry team or when I'm thinking about the importance of parents, like asking students, you know, what are some of the adults in the church that you guys think are cool? Um, and, like, you sometimes will figure out there are leaders there that you never would have thought to ask, you know. Him? Yeah, dude, he's awesome. That guy can shoot a deer with a bow and arrow from three miles away in the dark, you know. Um, that's cool. Um, so does he love Jesus? I'm not sure. Well, let's figure that out. So anyway, um, you know, all this to say, uh, you know, that's a good way to get names if you're kind of brainstorming because um, they're, they're already looking around. And they, 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 sometimes they're, they're obviously sometimes their ideas are awful and wrong, but sometimes they could be spot on. But, no, that's a good point. To say invite all the parents and the elders to everything, that, uh, that definitely shouldn't be taken, um, uh, what do you call that? Thoughtful, strategic, yeah, it's a good word. That's tricky. Yeah, the, the kind of the fluidity movement, you know, it's like at least we're going somewhere, you know, and, uh, you know. Right. Yeah, so, uh, sometimes we need to adjust the structures in our church, you know, and I know logistics are really hard in some churches, but I've, I'm always pushing back against concurrent youth Sunday school with worship. You know, it works out great because the kids are taken care of, you know, and I'm like, this is really not good. But again, I know, again, it's not my place to tell churches exactly how they have to do it. There are other ways to maybe combat that problem. But with reference to like, so my kid goes to a youth group, I would do everything I can to get to know the leaders of that other youth group, um, go to meals, hang out with them, hear their heart. Um, hey, can I come? I'd love to see, you know, uh, what's going on, what I can learn from you. And it could be that they, they got a great thing going and we can stop and go, okay, yeah, this isn't ideal, but with their family, but they go to the youth group with the other there um, and not here. Well, if they're in corporate worship with us, with their family, but they go to the youth group with the other one, put your pride on a shelf and stare at it for a little bit and say, are we, are we okay with this? Um, again, but if he's going somewhere that's just like Cokes and Jokes and, you know, they're just, it's no good. Again, I love Coke, a cola, and Jokes are great as well. Um, uh, just recorded, got to make sure there. Um, you know, yeah. Getting to know that, because sometimes you can actually kind of celebrate it. Um, I've been on both sides of that, um, where kids have come to our, my youth ministry who go to another church. And I'll, I, if, if I see it consistently and I know some people over there, I want to make sure 
I'll actually call a youth leader and say, yo, Susie Smith, yeah, yeah, the family in our church since it was founded. They're the most important family in the church. But I don't never see their kid because we think they do drugs all the time. But oh, they're actually at our youth group. Um, you know, silly examples to make the point. Trying to keep that communication open. We need to, we need to, our pride is usually the biggest problem there. And I don't want to project onto you there. You could be just much more holy than me and probably are. Uh, but typically when I got frustrated by kids going to other youth groups, I was, I felt like, I felt shame. Like, oh, well, I'm not cool enough. We're not fun enough. Or what's the deal? And usually it had nothing to do with it. So I would look for ways to make sure that kid knows I know them um, and that their family knows that we know them and make sure they're over communicated. We're doing this. We're doing that. Um, the, uh, so they are involved. Even if they never come, hey, you're doing this. Love for you to be there. Any resources you're creating for parents as a family, that parent gets them. Um, and uh, and uh, getting into that family as well. Um, so I think it's it's more organic and less we need to have a, you know, teach it. The teaching piece is, you know, is almost subversive sometimes. You could do a series on covenant theology and how important it is if it's necessary. Um, you might not want to figure out how to frame that so anyone will come. But it is. It is. It's one of those things that it colors. Like when, when I'm talking to students, another thing, I've been talking about how adults need to know that kids, you know, but like kids need to know that they need adults. Like they need, when you go to worship, creating that space for them, when you go into worship, you know, I know it's hard, but like you need to know that you need those people and they need you. Like you can't do this on your own. Don't think that just because they don't know how to run Snapchat that there's no, you know, hope for them or whatever. Like we need them. Like that, we have to build those categories. So we're teaching it explicitly, but we're not necessarily having a six-week series on covenant theology. So it, it, it colors everything we say. There's all every week we teach. There's application time in our lessons, and we can find ways to to insert stuff that challenges them to think in a way that I never really thought about that. Um, yeah, so that's helpful, but no, the, being cautious about the, the interplay between churches, getting to know other church leaders is really helpful because it'll sometimes it can decrease, decrease our stress. Oh, okay, well, they're actually teaching the Bible there, and, and we can deal with our own pride issues, and then we can find other ways to serve that kid. Um, some of the hardest youth ministry opportunities we have is to serve kids who give nothing back and don't seem to really give a rip. Um, but I'm pretty sure Jesus has done that with the world because he, he didn't go looking for those who were going to give back. Uh, he saw a world in chaos, loved it, and moved towards it. So we want to be moving towards students. And again, it may be, you may talk to that kid twice a semester, you know, the kid that never comes up. But I will guarantee you those little touch points matter. Um, they do. They simply do. Um, I had a kid in, at Trinity who, like, we hardly ever saw youth ministry stuff. Um, but then when he went away to college and his life kind of fell apart and he came back, and one of our interns who kind of sort of kept up with him mainly by email um, came back and then bared testimony through this guy's newsletter about how it was his constant connection with him that kept him rooted to this church. They were always in church worship, but anyway, we knew he was kind of wild and crazy, but he came to faith, and his, his whole life has changed, and like the world's a better place. But anyway, little things happen, and it always works that way, so I'm just kidding. Um, uh, anyway, so it's tricky. There's a lot going on there, but that is something for us to think about. You know, what if our kids aren't coming here, or and how do we teach kids, and even when it's hard, believers about the covenant. You know, it's like, we can teach principles about honoring your parents, and, and even when it's hard, like you got some situations, let's talk, and trying to get to know those families. So it's, it's, uh, it's tricky, but it's important. Yes?
Yeah, the ideal is for a church to go to, to, to participate in the life of I mean, membership vows, you know, uh, you know, support and you know, serve and support, you know, whatever the third or fourth vow in the PCA. I don't know what y'all's are, but like, I'd, I'd like just show up. Being present is important, right? And ideally, it's at your church where your family's going because a more consistent message will happen. So we want that to happen ideally. Um, when we think about the covenant community, you know, your local church is a local manifestation of the covenant community. Um, this may sound crazy, and I might be wrong here, but like other churches in your town um, that aren't reformed, um, I think when we get to heaven, like they're going to be in the covenant community. Like they may not talk that way, you know. They may not say that the covenant is God's plan for you know organizing His elect or whatever over redemptive. You know, they may be talking differently, but I think there's some things we're going to be like, oh man, uh, blah blah blah. So I want to say that's that's covenant community, but no, it, it's not. It's not as, I think, effective as the local, your particular, because of consistency and message, and you've got messaging that can be, the leadership's clear, the family's hearing the same thing. That's why it's important for you to know those folks over there, because if it seems like something that's really coming at crossways with what you're trying to do in your church, and they're getting a very different kind of misleading situation, you at the very least want to help them translate that. Um, like, my kids go to other churches a lot of times, and, and there's one church he goes to all the time one of his buddies, and they get to play a lot of basketball youth group for like 90 minutes, and then they have a little talk, and it's pizza. The guy gets super emotional every time. Uh, this guy loves Jesus, passionate about Jesus. Um, I'm convinced without a doubt, and he wants these kids to know him. I'm not crazy about their methodology, um, but I have to help my son kind of say, how does that make you feel? It's like, it sounds like he just wants us to get like, like, like love him like as much as him. It's like, is that a bad thing? No, but like is, what did you learn about Jesus tonight? You know, and it's, it's the same thing, that he loves us and he's always there. You know, it's like, there's more to it, right? But, uh, but helping them navigate that is tricky. And against my own son, it's a bit different. But again, slow and steady, getting to know those people is helpful. And I do think the ideal would be, you know, in, in one place. So we can work for that and try to slowly move into that conversation. But it's tricky because it can sound very judgmental. Like, why are your kids not in our group, you know? And, uh, but yeah, moving towards that because it's important. It's helpful to, to learn and get to know people. I'm going to pray us out of here. To, uh, you guys have been gracious to stay uh, afternoon, but I want you guys to not only get some food, but also get a chance to just relax for a few um, from the fire hydrant. So if you have other questions, I'll stick around for a few. Um, but if not, by all means, hustle over for lunch, and we'll see you all back over here around 2. Let's pray. Father, thank you for a chance to gather, and, and, and really for some of us to begin thinking about this, for others to be reminded and encouraged to, to continue thinking about it. And, and no doubt, Father, there are some even in here who, um, uh, who, are, who are seeing some of this fleshed out really well in their context, and, and, and we just want to celebrate wherever we all are in this. Um, thank you that we can have this conversation and remind us that this is uh, something that will help us wrestle with what things proactive programmatically might look like and active uh, application might look like um, that are we even wrestling with the church and the family as crucial to what we're doing in our youth ministry rather than peripheral um, that's really at the heart here we, we need to always be wrestling with how are we honoring and affirming that that's the way you have organized um, uh, your, your your method if you will that all three of these opportunities are, are kind of the quote-unquote best-case scenario to bring the next generation before you and to hear who you are, the mighty deeds you've done, your love for your people, and your work in the world. Uh, thank you for allowing us to pause, talk about this, and uh, thank you for the rest we'll get to have the rest of this for a couple hours now. In Jesus' name, amen. Appreciate you all very much. See you all a little bit later.